0: from Luke 105 to 8 it's the uh, NIV version when you enter a house first say peace to this house if someone who promotes peace is there your peace will rest with them if not it will return it will return to you stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. This is the word of our Lord. over the month of May, we're delving into Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 11, where Jesus sends out the 72. And it's not very often that we actually spend, we kind of slow down and over the series of uh, five weeks in this case, just examine one or two verses week by week. Uh, it's amazing actually how much comes out of each particular verse as we just slow down. And it's a I think it's a good thing for us to do So in particular, we're looking at the mission of Jesus and the mission of his followers. Um, We began two weeks ago by considering verses 1 to 3, where Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then last week we heard from Paul, just focusing in on verse 4, around travelling lightly and focusing on the task at hand. Today we are considering Jesus' instructions to the 72 in verses 5 to 8. This is primarily about heralding the peace that comes from God and connecting with people of peace. Jesus sends his followers out with this message, peace to this house. Peace is a rich, reoccurring word in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the announcement of peace is tied up with the message of salvation. God has come to earth in the person of Jesus to bring peace on earth. This is the song that the angels declare at Jesus' birth. And then peppered right throughout Luke's gospel are stories of people experiencing the peace of God through the ministry of Jesus. To say peace to this house was much more than a simple greeting. In the Greco-Roman world, peace was an absence of war or social discord. But the Hebrew concept of shalom meant much, much more. And that's what we're talking about this morning, the shalom of God. Shalom means so much more than the English word peace often conveys. It is so much more than a feeling, an inner feeling of calm and serenity. It is more than the absence of conflict. It refers to that much desired state where all things are finally put right between us. Shalom suggests a restoration of relationship between all peoples. It also involves reconciliation between humanity and God. It also includes the restoration of the earth and our relationship to the land. It is such a rich term that holds infinite possibility. Because we have experienced peace with God, his followers are commissioned, are sent out to demonstrate peace with each other and to the world. We are to be people who always seek to extend peace, the shalom reign of God. So central to any mission endeavour is the announcement of God's shalom, available to all through the Lord Jesus Christ. The shalom of God calls us to care for people holistically. Peace again and again in the New Testament is presented of, as one of the great gifts that is offered to those who are in relationship with God through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is forever Uh, signing his letters off. Grace and peace be with you in the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, we are not only commanded to live peaceably among each other, but we are to seek ways of bringing peace, the shalom of God, to the world in which we live. And we do that in a variety of ways. For those of us who were at the Revive conference, we heard a speaker, Steve Frost. And Steve is a, a lawyer. Uh, who's all, who has a non-for-profit legal uh, organization that is designed to work with people who are experiencing family breakdown and violence, domestic violence. And Steve is very intentionally going about bringing the shalom of God to to dark places where there is no shalom. And so however God has gifted you, the areas of, of interest and passion and giftedness that you have, we seek to refashion uh, darkness to light. We seek to bring the shalom of God and there's a whole range of ways that we're able to do that as followers of Jesus. One of Global Interaction's core beliefs is that God's greatest gift is a life-changing experience of Jesus. The peace, the shalom of God that Jesus brings to both communities and individuals is foundational for this belief. The passage that we're looking at this morning highlights this idea of a person of peace and the potential that this one person has to welcoming the gospel into the broader community. A person of peace is someone who welcomes the worker and the worker's message into their lives and home. Their welcoming of both the message and the messenger actually helps the gospel message find a place amongst the people of that community. One of the distinctives of a person of peace is that they are hospitable. The biblical meaning of hospitality literally means the love of a stranger. Therefore, the kind of hospitality that is suggested here, is being welcomed in by strangers, which is exactly what Jesus is referring to. He is sending out disciples to essentially rely and depend on the goodness and the kindness of strangers to provide for their practical needs. The disciples are to find people of peace who will literally welcome the stranger in, if you will. And because of their hospitable nature... These people naturally influence communities and bring people together. Jesus suggests that as the 72 go out two by two, that when they find a person of peace, they are to stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you the welcome and hospitality of the person of peace becomes a base through which the whole community can be reached for the good news. And it is presumed that if a person of peace is prepared to open up their house to strangers, that they will have a very open and hospitable house and that many others will indeed be coming not only into their house, but into contact with this rich and generous person it would indicate that a person of peace has a posture towards building and developing community. It is also implied that a person of peace is a pretty well-connected person within their sphere of influence. Now, it's important to note at this point that the idea here is not just kind of using the person of peace to be able to get to others. It's rather recognising that God not only has a plan for individuals, but God has a much broader plan to bring whole communities, whole families, whole networks of people to him. A person of peace can be the beginning or the catalyst for a movement or a ripple effect amongst communities. Who do you know who is a person of peace? The person who immediately pops into my mind is Ramazon the owner of Roma's Cafe up in the food court at Erin Affair. As many of you know, Ramazon is such a warm and friendly man. And whenever you walk past, he's always in the kitchen chatting with someone. Bronnie and I cannot walk past Ramazon without him generously wanting to offer us food and coffee and stop for a chat. He's a very well-connected person. He's very hospitable and warm in nature. Can you think of examples of who you know in your world who is a person of peace. We're not actually talking about followers of Jesus here. We're talking about people who are hospitable, to people who are generous, to people who are open-hearted to others, and to people who seem to be well-connected within their sphere of influence. I want you to take a moment, turn to the person sitting next to you, and actually just share, is there a person of peace that you're aware of? And who are they? go for it let's let's bring it back does anyone have a does anyone have a story of a person of peace that i'd like to share just briefly is there someone that you know who seems to demonstrate these qualities of a person of peace John? Wonderful. And he is now the administrator of the Church in the bottom United
1: Church. How about that?
0: Wonderful. Yes. That's great. Wonderful. That's great. These people have wonderful influence. We're able to connect people and draw people in. I think there's a, an aspect here of finding a person of peace, of, of needing to trust the Holy Spirit. Now, so often we think that we have to kind of have it all figured out and have all the answers, and yet God, God chooses to use different people to allow his gospel message to flourish. And the 72, they obviously went with a great sense of trust. That God, that Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about, that there were, in fact, many people who were not necessarily uh, believers or saved, but warm to the gospel, uh, but also highly relational and hospitable. And these are the sort of characteristics and qualities that we need to be looking out for for these people of peace because they do exist, they are out there, and we may not even be aware of it. Maybe we are aware of it, but we haven't really tapped into the potential that they have to be a conduit for bringing of the, the gospel message um, For those who welcome both the message and the messenger, it seems that a beautiful transaction takes place. Mission is not about a giver and receiver. It's not about a one-way relationship. In this case, it becomes a two-way partnership of reciprocation, of giving and receiving. The messenger brings the beautiful greeting, the gift of peace in God through Jesus, and the person of peace empowers mission by providing hospitality, food, drink, and a place to stay. But they are not just welcoming the messenger themselves. Through their partnership with the messengers, they become a potential doorway for the gospel to impact entire communities. During the progression of Luke and Acts, this concept of the messenger of peace being welcomed by a person of peace who in turn empowers more ministries is a surprisingly common phenomenon. There are many examples. Simon's mother-in-law's house becomes a base for Jesus' healing and preaching ministry. As Matthew welcomes Jesus into his house, his house becomes a place for disreputable people. Other examples include the house of Martha and Mary the home of Zacchaeus, the home of Cornelius, the home of Aquila and Priscilla. It seems that God's plan is rarely just to save an individual and extract them from their community, from their friends and neighbours, but indeed to send them back out into those places, to reach new households, to reach new communities, to see new movements uh, that are formed that centre around Jesus. Finally, it's worth noting here, there's one thing in this verse which is particularly interesting, and that is the phrase, eating and drinking whatever is given to you. One commentator suggests that in the area of Jordan to which the 72 were being sent out, there were many, many Gentiles. And this meant that the food that the 72 were being offered would very often be ceremonially unclean. And this could be a real challenge for those who wanted to remain ceremonially pure. But Jesus was advocating that they not be sidetracked about the fussiness of our food laws. The good news of the gospel must go out, even if it meant, in this case, eating risky food. Now that's their context I wonder what our context is. I wonder what it means for us to be culturally flexible. Risky and unorthodox table fellowship is a common, th- a common thread, a theme that runs throughout Luke's Gospel. And we see here that it's going to continue on through the ministry of the 72. Furthermore, it is again a beautiful anticipation of the wider Gentile mission that is going to be launched after Peter's vision in Acts 10 and 11 that helped him to realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, that he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Here the writer touches on the wonder that the gospel will eventually include all people of every culture, tribe, nation and tongue. As Luke anticipates and Acts draws out explicitly, Gentiles would not have to become Jewish in cultural markers or customs or language to become part of the people of God. Accepted through the gospel, they could actually continue to worship God in their own heart language and in their own cultural unique expressions. This means at times that the onus is on those in mission to adapt culturally, to enter the lounge rooms, to share in the tables and world views of those whom we are ministering to. We see here a forerunner of Paul's flexible ministry mindset found in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says in summary, I have become all things to all people That I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its many blessings. This is where things get really exciting. Cultural flexibility in our sharing of the gospel flows from the belief that one day we will be a people from every tribe, every language, standing before the throne of God together as Revelation 21 to 22 and 24 describes this new creation. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will gates ever be shut, for there will be no night. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Missiologist Chris Wright says, Think of the prospect. All of human culture and language, literature, art, music, science, business, sport, technological achievement, actual and potential, all available to us. All of it with the poison of evil and sin sucked out of it forever. All of it glorifying God, all under his loving and approving smile. All of it for us to enjoy with God And indeed, being enjoyed by God. What a beautiful vision. What a beautiful image and picture. And as those who have been called to herald the shalom of God, we are invited into the mission of God to try and foster these kinds of environments where diversity is celebrated, where beauty is highlighted and valued, and where the message of Christ is proclaimed as an act of peace. Global Interaction's tagline, empowering communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Jesus, is not just a fancy marketing line or a trendy way of talking about mission. What Global Interaction are about is working with men and women just like you and I, To go out to different cultures, cultures of the least reached peoples and prepare them for the new creation that is coming. Help them find ways to express their love of God in culturally relevant ways. Today's passage has opened up for us three key themes. We've We've spoken about the shalom of God That shalom is this wonderful word, this rich word that describes things being put right. It's a term of justice and, and right relationships, of reconciliation, of hospitality, of warmth, of acceptance. We've spoken about connecting with people of peace. We've considered if there is a person of peace in your world, somebody that you know. And we've talked about being the need to be culturally flexible for the sake of the gospel. As I reflect on these key themes, I realize that there's some work that I need to do. I need to consider what does it mean for me to be a person of peace? How am I going about bringing the shalom of God in the spaces that I exist with the the skills and gifts and passions that God has given me? When I think about connecting with people of peace, it challenges me to think about who are the people of peace that I know and how am I fostering relationship with them as a person of peace myself? How am I being hospitable? How am I opening my home and my life to others that they may come and witness the life-changing message of Jesus? And thirdly, it invites me to consider what does it mean to be culturally flexible? Are there areas where I'm being too rigid and actually preventing the gospel message from going forward. I'm sure there are questions for you. And so it's going to take a moment now just to quietly consider what the Holy Spirit might be saying to each one of us.